Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, well, welcome to Open Heaven number three. It's been a really good series so far. In this series so far, we have talked about the effect that Jesus had really on the world, but especially the effect he has had on religion, on the way that we interact with God the Father, on the fulfillment of, of prophecy, and, and just each and every one of our relationships with the Father. Jesus changed everything. Everything. The prophet John the Baptist proclaimed this, right? It was sort of his job to prepare Israel for Jesus is coming. And so we read in in John 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Did anybody else sort of have some words jump out at you from time to time from the Bible? Like it's maybe just in the preparation of these series, when I'm on a certain kick or season in my life, I, I, words just jump out at me. I've never noticed that he actually said the words, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven is near, right? He was speaking about Jesus, a voice shouting in the wilderness. This is John preparing a way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him prophesying that Jesus is coming, that the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus was ready to step into that ministry, he was baptized by John. It was really the the sort of kickstart to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew 3, verse 16, we read this last week, but I want to reiterate. Verse 16 says, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That God opened the heavens on this day and we see a dove descend upon Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to get stuck on little details like this occasionally when I'm studying the word, right? And and sometimes when we study, we have to go back and look at the word. Where do we first see the appearance of this? Where else do we see doves throughout the word and just do a little digging? Because remember, when God does something, he's doing something, right? He, he Little things like a dove can be a significant choice when it comes to something that God has done. He, he does, didn't just pick that animal at random. He didn't make a mistake, like maybe he should have picked something with some talents you know, a big American eagle, something regal, and I don't know. He, he chose a dove because when God does something, he's doing something. It's a perfect choice. It's the right choice. So you have to ask yourself, why a dove? Why a dove? Now, others in the Old Testament were anointed with oil when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Right? David, uh, Solomon, Saul, most of the the kings of the Old Testament of Israel had oil dumped over their heads when they were anointed, either with the Holy Spirit or as king of Israel, but not Jesus. When the Holy Spirit came on him, it was a dove. I think this was significant. Kings were anointed with oil in the Old Testament, but Jesus didn't come to be a physical here and now king, to be a ruler. He didn't come to 
be served, but to serve. You know, this is something people don't often get with churches. I shouldn't say often. Sometimes we get off track when it comes to church. Some of you have so impressed me lately. Someone said to me lately, you know, we're just so blessed. We, we were best blessed with Pastor Jerry, and we're blessed with our pastors now, and we're just so blessed as a church. And, and I realized that sentiment goes much deeper. Uh, that sentiment is, is a connection to the body of Christ, not any particular pastor or teacher or leader. That sentiment is, I'm grateful as a member of the mission, the body of Christ. It's a commitment to not just a preacher. It goes so much deeper than that. And it's seriously impressive in this American culture where we have lots of choices, right? Unlike many places throughout the world, we have practically have a church on every corner. And this area, even this rural Gettysburg cornfield area, lots of good churches, lots of good choices. Now, because of that, we tend to create this church hopper mentality, this consumer Christianity mentality. When people don't like something, they can just go and find something else. And, and I'm not saying changing churches is the worst, but when we do it a lot and there's some selfishness behind it, right? It's, but we mask it in religion. You know, it's, um, I, I'm just not getting fed spiritually at that church anymore. And, and you move on. I'm just not getting fed here or there, right? Uh, the number one way to get a consumer Christian mindset to leave a church is to challenge them to give and to serve. Number one complaint from the consumer mindset will be that they're just not getting fed. Now, it's, it's not new to 2021. <laughs> we often think that our, our culture today is just, right, it's just something new today. No, even in John 6, read John 6 tonight at home, and you'll see the dramatic change. In the span of one chapter, we see Jesus feeding 5,000 people, he walks on water, and the very next day, the same people from yesterday, from, from the feeding of the 5,000, followed him across this great body of water, found him on the other side of it, and said, Lord, feed us again. Give us bread again. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I didn't come to feed you physical bread every day. I came to do something so much greater than that. He was trying to get them to see it's not about hand feeding you, teaching you to feed yourself. I am the bread of life. And many people left him that day. The Bible says they left in droves that day because he wouldn't feed them. It's not a pastor's job to feed you. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. It's not the pastor's job to get you fed. It's my job, biblically, to equip you. So I'm less like a cafeteria and more like an armory or something. <laughs> I'm there to equip you, as, as we're going to see here in a little bit. Jesus was anointed with a dove, not with oil. He didn't come to be served, but to lay down his life as a ransom for many. We're called to be like that. To be like Jesus, who didn't let his emotions get in the way. 
of serving. And, and it's not to say he didn't have emotions, right? You remember him sweating literal blood in the garden? If that's not an intense emotion, I mean, I've never, ha- I've never had intense anxiety enough to sweat blood. He had emotions, right? You remember him saying to the disciples, how long must I put up with you? (laughs) Oh, you of little faith. Come on, guys, get with the program, right? Come on, Baggy, get with the beat. That's a Jungle Book quote, I'm pretty sure. I don't know where that came from. He didn't let his emotions get in the way. He served people. He was fully human too, and he felt them, but he didn't let them get in a way because he was anointed with a dove. Now, to fully understand this, we have to go back in the words where we first see a dove in the Bible. And that is all the way back to the first couple chapters of Genesis where we see the story of Noah, right? You remember this story? Sunday school, maybe? Noah sees the earth flooded, and at the end of it, he sends out a bird. Do you remember what kind of bird he sent first? A raven. Sent a raven first. The raven didn't come back because ravens feed on death. They, they, they clean up the earth. That is their, one of their jobs. He probably found a lot of death out there after a very large flood. But then he sent out a dove. Dove goes out, comes back, doesn't find anything. Sent him again, comes back with an olive branch. Sent him again, and he didn't come back. And to Noah... What that meant was there's life again on the earth because doves only feed on life. Doves actually only eat seeds, fruit, berries. Um, They feed on things that are alive. So when he brought back that olive branch, it was a sign it's coming. And when he didn't come back, Noah knew there was life again. And we also see doves throughout the Old Testament. They were actually the only bird able to be sacrificed to God as atonement for sin. So we see them throughout the Old Testament in the temple context, right? So to the Jews, as they were watching this happen, as they were watching Jesus being baptized, dunked and brought back up, and this dove descend from heaven, this was a pretty clear symbol to them. Purity. This was an atonement of sin, and not a rich man's atonement, not something that costs a lot of money, like, like a lamb or something else that they would sacrifice at the temple. This was the poor man's atonement. Just a simple dove. It was the everyday person's atonement. So many symbols here. So many symbols in this one word within the Bible of open heaven, of the Holy Spirit now resting with us. Once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Doves are, and I started to research birds, okay? I like birds. Anybody else like bird watcher in here? I'm not like a professional at it or anything, but I have some birds I like to watch. There's this crazy uh, cardinal. I don't know if you've seen my uh, Instagram stories sometimes. He likes to torture me up in my office here at the church. Um, We have some nests around our house. I just find them interesting. I like to watch them. Uh, So I like birds. I started researching doves. I didn't know much about them before. Doves are, there's so many parallels to the Holy Spirit. It's incredible, actually. First of all, they're faithful. Doves mate for life. They are faithful birds. They are also fast. They can get up to 55 miles per hour, a dove. 
You wouldn't think so. They're kind of like bottom heavy <laughs> looking, right? But they are deceivingly fast and they're pretty flighty. They actually fly away at the slightest startle. Right? John 16, 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself or from himself. He will only speak what he hears from the Father and will tell you what is yet to come. Some people in Pentecostal circles maybe, um, or just, you know, we fall into this trap occasionally in general, but we end up almost worshiping the Holy Spirit. We love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We love when miracles happen. We love these great moves of God at the altar, and we almost end up worshiping that. The Holy Spirit was never meant to be worshipped. The Holy Spirit's job is to point back to the Father. He doesn't speak of himself. He doesn't speak from himself. He speaks only what he hears, the Bible says. So when there's a whisper, when there's even the the slightest um, pride that comes in or lust or greed or, or selfishness, the Holy Spirit will fly away. Just like the dove, they get startled easily. The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. God's love never goes away. Don't mix up the two. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But the the Holy Spirit resting in you, you are a vessel. And when you can't continue to tap into that, the Holy Spirit will fly away like the dove at the easiest, the smallest little startle. Doves are also fresh and pure, though. I mentioned this already. They eat life, not death. They're one of the only birds that exclusively eat life. The seeds, berries, grains, greens, fruits, occasionally even insects, snails, earthworms. They eat life. And so they were considered to be, even in ancient cultures for the Israelites, one of the purest birds. They meant, they meant a purity for them, um, a sacrificial atonement for them. They certainly had to be. Doves are also cooperative. Mom and dad both feed the young when it comes to birds. Isn't that interesting? It's not like a milk, but it's like something that they produce that they give to their young. And their young actually mature incredibly quickly. I liked this one. Doves are hunted. Right? People hunt morning doves. But they're not extinct. Anywhere on the earth, they are not extinct. These doves are still hunted as game birds in many areas. They're easy prey for outdoor cats, apparently, as well. But I did not find one hint of population decline or them being protected in any case. You know, it's, it's actually estimated that there are more than 100 million mourning doves. It's a lot of doves. They beat up but not broken. <laughs> They're enduring. You can throw them in jail, but they're not discouraged. You see how this is parallel to the Holy Spirit. Hunted, but not extinct. They're also compatible almost anywhere in the world. Countries, towns, um, city, you know, hot and cold climates. They exist almost everywhere on Earth except Antarctica, um, the Arctic, and like the deep desert. Just amazing how adaptable they are. Um, You know, wherever humans are, you can probably find the dove. Wherever humans are, you could find the Holy Spirit. They also sleep with their head in between their shoulders. Not like most other birds who hide their eyes under their feathers when they sleep, so they're ready in season and out of season. But here's the most interesting, I thought, 
fact about doves that parallels the Holy Spirit. Doves have nine feathers, main feathers on both wings. There are nine fruits of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, and there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit first. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, or another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So I want to cover these nine for you today. I think a lot of them are are very misunderstood. Uh, Of the gifts of the Spirit, there are actually three ways to categorize them from this passage. And the first is how to think like God. The Holy Spirit comes on our lives and he wants to help us think like God. It says transform, the Bible says transform your mind, right? The Word will do that. God will do that. The Holy Spirit will do that. He wants to help you think like God. If you want the more churchy way to say it, it's revelation. And those three under this category are wisdom, wisdom, which I think is maybe one of the most underrated. Wisdom is is a superpower. It's not only knowing what to say, but how and when to say it. Because we can often know the right thing to say, but say it in the Wrong, at the wrong time, mess it all up, or uh, say it with the wrong attitude, right? The wisdom is a superpower. The second one is knowledge. This is knowing things you shouldn't naturally know. Um, it, it works in tandem with the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's maybe some word God just drops in your spirit to help you minister to someone or an answer to a question that somebody asks and you don't have the answer to. That's happened to me many times where I'm, I'm suddenly answering a question for someone, a spiritual kind of question, and I hear the perfect answer come out of my mouth. But I didn't have it 30 seconds ago. God just speaks through us. It's the gift of knowledge. There's also the gift of discernment, helping us to think like God so we can quickly determine, is that from God or is that not? from God, as the scripture says, knowing whether a spirit is from God or from something else. People aren't always honest. (laughs) It's nice to be able to quickly see, God, where is this actually coming from? These are the gifts of revelation, how to think like God, wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. The second category is proclamation, how to speak like God. This is the gift of tongues. I was thinking as I was preparing this, how hard it is to control our tongues. It's actually the hardest part of the body to train. We can train our bodies pretty easily. I mean, maybe not for all of us, but it's we know how to, right? Eat less, work out more. That's the basis of every diet plan ever. It's training your body, but to train your mouth, to train your tongue, hardest part of the body to train. Wherever the tongue goes, the body follows. And the gift of tongues is speaking God's language. 
It's speaking beyond your usual ability to speak. It's miraculous. It's beautiful. The gift of tongues, and it goes with the second one, the gift of interpretation of tongues. Somebody who can hear it and interpret it. In fact, you're not supposed to really use the gift of tongues in a, in a big setting like this unless there's an interpreter around because it sort of causes chaos and doesn't really help anyone, <laughs> right? So the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, and the gift of prophe- prophecy. I actually think that prophecy might be the most misunderstood of all of the gifts. I think um, we have a lot of people that want to walk around and, and be a sort of Old Testament prophets today, raining down fire and causing, you know, calling judgment on people. Jesus took the judgment. It's one that he changed everything. He took the punishment. He took the shame. And yes, God is still God, and he's still the God of individuals, and he's still the God of nations, but we're called to bring good news. I think I've covered this a lot in this series so far, but we're called to bring good news. First Corinthians 4, verse 1 says, let, your, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire, desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Encouragement, what did I say? Strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's what a a prophetic word should be. Uh, Having grown up in church, this church, this you know, Pentecostal, evangelistic, we love the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we function in them that kind of church, I've had a lot of words brought to me. And some of them, they're not strengthening, they're not encouraging, they're not comforting. Right? And I have to weigh that. Is this lining up with the word of God? Right? And and is it something I'm going to take into my spirit? Because the Bible also has a lot to say about false prophets. We have to test them. It is biblical to test a false prophet and see whether what they say comes true. That's actually one of the only ways to know whether a prophet is false or not, biblically speaking. Test them. See whether it comes true or not. (laughs) Which is a little bit of a wait and see kind of situation. It usually frustrates us when we're trying to know. But is it strengthening? Is it encouragement? Is it comforting? Is it something that's going to build up the church? This is prophecy. The third category is demonstration. Um, the Holy Spirit wants to help us act like God. Act like God. And there are three here. Miracles. They're used in the Bible to cause wonder. Right? To, when Jesus did them, it, you see these ripple effects of wonder throughout the entire area. It gets people asking questions. Who is this guy? Uh, where did he come from? Right? Can I get healed? Like, can you, how does this work? Right? It drew people to him. And I think some of the miracles Jesus did, just because he loves us, because he came to bring heaven down, to bring the kingdom of heaven with him. I mean, the, the wine at the wedding at Cana, his first miracle, he just, I think, he just loved the people. <laughs> he just, loved them, or gave to them. 
because he could. I love Jesus for that. And miracles, healing is the second one because God is the healer because he restores. It's, it's what he does. It is an open heaven policy, right? Miracles, healing, and faith is the last one. Well, this is one we tend to sort of gloss over because don't we all have faith? But I have known people that have a supernatural ability to believe for big things, even when there's no evidence to support it. None. Now, there's a purity to this one that I admire sometimes. My husband has this particular gift. Oh, people, <clears throat> thank you. People uh, that like to gather knowledge as scholars, we, we tend to have a harder time with like getting over the information piece, <laughs> right? struggle with that. Like, I like to know everything about something. I like to research it and dig into it and understand it. And I have a hard time with just skipping all that sometimes and just believing the gifts of faith. Miracles, healing, and faith are the the gifts of demonstration. Now, what would a dove be without both wings, though, right? This is one wing. There are nine feathers on one wing. Wouldn't be much good without the other wing, without the other nine feathers. And without the fruit of the Spirit, these gifts aren't much good. So Galatians 5 has the fruit of the Spirit. Skip down to verse 22. But when the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, there is no law against such things. This is the kind of fruit the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Without these nine fruits, who's going to listen? Right? We can be the best prophet that there is, but without love, nobody's listening. Right? We can have all the knowledge. This is 1 Corinthians 13, right? We can have all the knowledge that is out there on planet Earth and beyond, it says, but without love, Without joy, what's the point? A dove would be no good without both wings. In fact, and again, growing up in, a, in Pentecostal, you know, people functioning in the Holy Spirit and trying to figure out the gifts and all of that. I have seen flappers. <laughs> there are people running around with one wing trying to function in, in the gifts of the Spirit. It makes a whole lot of noise. They're just flapping. They're not doing anything. They're not getting anywhere. With both wings, you'll get somewhere. You need the fruit of the Spirit as well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're not going to be effective at all without these things. We'll be lopsided. But we also have tail feathers on a dove. Tail feathers. Ephesians 4, 11 tells us about yet Another five gifts that the church needs. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. These are the five ministry gifts. They're there to equip you to do every good work that God has predestined for you to accomplish. Number one is the apostle. An apostle is someone who takes new ground, who goes into the unreached people groups, who, who plants churches, who's, who's out there 
taking new ground, that they work with sort of all of the gifts as well. They lead all the gifts. They can function in most of them. Uh, but they take new ground. The, the prophet is someone who strengthens, encourages, comforts, right? It's, it's uh, usually pretty specific to a person. It doesn't have to be somebody that knows you necessarily. Aaron and I have had many words spoken over us that from people that didn't know us personally, or at least well, right, um, that have been right on. But be wary, because the Bible does, again, talk a lot about false prophets. I think there's an article actually in your sermon notes that will help you determine whether someone is false prophet or not. Um, but I'm, I'm very wary of some of the prophetic movements that are out there that, like, like there's some you can sign up for, like, an email thing and get a personalized prophecy in your inbox every day. Not sure that's what this gift is about. It's more like astrology or, or fortune telling or something than, than what the gift of prophecy is meant to be. So again, weigh it against the word. Make sure it lines up with the word. Check it with God. Is this something I take into my spirit or not? It should be somewhat specific to your life. Uh, three is the evangelist. Evangelist has a special gifting for getting people over the line helping them make that decision to follow Jesus from going from non-believer to believer. They're especially gifted at it. They can speak the language of a non-believer better than some of the rest of us, but they, they can be abrasive, right? Because it's all or nothing with an evangelist usually. Uh, but number four is the pastor. Pastor is married to the church. They are, uh, the, their life is the church. They want to nurture and feed and grow and build that church to the best of their ability. And the teacher, bringing up those new disciples, training them as they go, right? teaching that it's more than just the decision, that this is a lifestyle and there's things to be learned. All of these aren't meant to coddle you. I know that sounds harsh. They're not meant to bottle feed you spiritual milk until the day you die and get to be with Jesus. They're not living their your Christian life for you. They're not there to feed you. They're meant to equip you to do a job, a job that has been enjoying relative ease in this part of the world for a couple of centuries. But it might not be for much longer. Culture is shifting. Things shift and change, develop. Instead of crying about that, as many Christians are right now, I believe we are in a pivotal moment in American history. Some other parts of the world have, have already gone through this. And I'm not talking about COVID and the vaccine and masks or any of that. I'm talking about a culture shift that has been shifting for a while now and maybe 2020 pushed it forward. It accelerated. Crisis tends to accelerate change, right? Maybe that's, it it was accelerated a bit, but I think our culture is shifting and I don't think we're going back. I I hear a lot of people right now say, I just want things to get back to normal. I just want to go back to the way things were. I'm not sure we'll have the same world to go back to after all of this, but I think we're going to see waves of a couple of things. Now, this is not gospel, okay? This is just some feelings between me and the Holy Spirit that I've been praying through. I think we're going to see waves of some mourning, people grieving, 
things that they lost in this accelerated change season, uh, lost family, lost friends, mourning the past and what they've lost through all this. And I think we're going to see some anger with that. Um, we, our culture loves to be angry. <laughs> anyway, we, we love to be offended about things and we feel this right. We're entitled to be offended about whatever it is that we want to be. Right? Oh, we like to be offended. We like to be angry. I think we're going to see waves of mourning and anger over the next couple of years. And then because of that, I think we're going to see a wave of false prophets. People clinging to any amount of truth that they can find. Clinging to, to hope where they can find it. And I know when Christians hear that, they think like televangelists or crazy preachers or something. I'm not necessarily talking about that, although I guess it can be. Um, but I think when people are scared, they'll cling to anything. They'll, they'll, they'll look toward fortune telling and astrology and some new age stuff and spiritualism and, and conspiracy theories and whatever. They're, they're going to claw at truth. I know all of that sounds like bad news, but here's the good news. Because of that, I think the church has a unique opportunity to shine. We have nothing to be scared of with culture getting darker. Not a darn thing. Because the darker it gets, the brighter our light shines. We're going to see the church of Jesus Christ rise up in the midst of all this and shine brighter than ever through the gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit. Look, I have been on a mission this week learning about crazy big theological words like theonomy and, and eschatology and all these big words, which essentially mean that sometimes Christians believe that culture should equal God's law. That, that if the church, Jesus' bride, were actually faithful, the culture would naturally follow. Right, that we can essentially measure the faithfulness of the church by culture's adoption of Christian norms. Are you following that? Essentially meaning, if the culture isn't conforming to the church and, and the Bible and Christianity, that we're somehow failing. And then Christian's anger tur turns toward the church. So if the politics of the day, the cultural conversations, etc., if, if they're not following the Bible, then, then it's the church's fault for not being faithful enough. If you're friends with enough Christians on Facebook, you will see this sometimes. People, how dare the church do this? And if, if church leaders would just, and if Christians would just actually be Christians, and, and it's anger, <laughs> the church just isn't faithful enough. You see this, and people will often quote First Chronicles 7. It says, if, if my people would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and, and pray and seek my face, I will heal their land hear from heaven and heal their land. But instead of turning that inward, you know, and saying, I should pray more. I should, I need to get out there and tell people about Jesus myself. They turn it on everyone else. They play the blame game. It must be the church's fault. It must be everyone else's fault because I'm, I'm doing it. If the wicked leaders of the church were just, the Christians were, were really Christians. The thing is, sometimes Israel was in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. God's promises were still promises. He wasn't defaulting on his promises. It just took generations to accomplish. 
Right? We, we serve a God that sometimes take gener- takes generations to fulfill prophecy and, and promises. The early church was born under oppression and continued under severe persecution, oppression, and discrimination. Not only did culture not conform to their ideals, it killed them for it. Just like it did with Jesus. Jesus had four different political groups within his own religion Jews, four different political groups that were Jews that were after him. On top of the Romans, culture didn't conform. So was his ministry, were the the apostles' failures? I would argue that they succeeded in spreading Jesus to the world. The culture cannot be a measurement of our success. Sometimes we lose the cultural battle. But the darkness cannot and can never put out the light. Jesus came and could have been king. They certainly wanted him to be. They pursued him to be king. He didn't choose a life of politics for that place and time and people. He laid down his life for all places, all times, and all people. We may live in a world that is mourning, that is angry, that is clinging to any hope that they can find, but instead of blaming it, we should be loving it. We should be thinking like God, speaking like God, acting like God. We should be flowing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The, the things, these are the things that the world should see when they look at the church, not us playing the blame game and yelling at them, but providing them with miracles and being happy about it, right? Wisdom with joy. It should be flowing out of us. We should be asking God for the windows of heaven to be opened and the Holy Spirit to descend upon us like a dove so that we can walk in humility, so we can walk in hope and and openness and wisdom and prophecy. It is an open heaven now. The fact that you can think like God, that he wants you to, he wants me to, It gives us that ability over time that that we can learn it and hone it and become better at thinking like God, the creator of the universe. It's mind-blowing. It's it's miraculous. And it's not scary. I hear some people sometimes saying, I just don't know. I've heard you say the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm just a little bit scared of it. So I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not scary. The Holy Spirit didn't descend like an eagle or a hawk or some bird of prey with talons and muscles. Eagles have big muscles? I don't know. Not something scary. He came as a dove. Gentle. Kind. He's fast and powerful, sure, but that's not the first thing you notice about him. The first thing that you'll feel with the Holy Spirit is love. A wash of love. I have been privileged to be able to witness probably thousands of Holy Spirit baptisms around these altars. The one remarkable thing about probably every single one that I've seen 
is this wash of love that comes over them. You can see them experience it. It's usually lots of tears. It's overwhelming. Sometimes they have to sit down to process it. It's afterward, I say, what, what are you feeling right now? And they just say, I just feel so loved. I feel at peace like never before. It's this wash of love. Ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate and distinct experience from salvation. The Holy Spirit is with you when you're saved. He he comes on you sometimes when you're saved, but he's with you. He walks with you. He is inside of you when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's this wash of of love and power and self-control. I want to give you that opportunity today, if you want it. I've asked some elders and pastors to be up front today after service to help me pray over you before we go back to meet and greet. If that is something that you want today, don't want you to miss that opportunity. But it doesn't have to happen here. Uh, Just recently, someone close to me got baptized in the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night. She'd been researching it for like... uh, week or or so, maybe a little bit longer, and and just learning about as she wanted to take in all the information that she couldn't. And so she went to bed that night after having researched. She closed her eyes. She went to sleep. In the middle, middle of the night, God woke her up. And she just sat up and began to pray in tongues, pray in the Holy Spirit. It was like this wash came over her. And she said, I said, how did it feel? And she said, you know what? I understand things now that I didn't before. I just I immediately understood that. But what if, but if he doesn't kind of faith, or things that I've been praying about and seeking God for, maybe I don't need them, but I have this faith, like, even if he doesn't, I'm okay. It's just wash of peace and understanding and discernment that I didn't have before. And it happened in her bed in the middle of the night. She least expected it. I've, I've heard of people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit after leaving this building on their way home. They had to pull the car over to have a moment with God in their car. I've heard people, uh, Greg Waldy tells this story all the time. He, bone cancer from head to toe. He started locking himself in his prayer closet in his house. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit and that thing. God led him to forgive people and repent. And ultimately his entire body was healed of the craziest bone cancer we'd ever seen. He has the, both doctor's reports to prove his healing happened through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can bring healing, prophecy, wisdom, discernment, understanding and power like never before. Jesus came to open heaven. He came to usher in a new age of closeness to God to allow us to walk in more love than we're actually capable of naturally, to give us the supernatural ability to love, to allow us to know things that we wouldn't know normally, to allow us to be patient, kind, effective with the gospel. Open heaven. Open heaven. No one is worth more to Jesus than you. Now, I'm not saying that that you can earn his love somehow or, or anything will separate you from the love of God. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
make him not want to reveal his mysteries to you anymore. You can walk away from it. It's a gift God gives you. You can put that gift down or reject it. Maybe because you've been prideful about it. Or you've allowed something in your life that's hurting the message. But his love never leaves you. It is always calling you home. And the beautiful thing is that we can be home now without even leaving this earth. That our souls can be anchored in heaven, even in these bodies that are always craving the natural. And Jesus came to make it easy. Give your life to him today and watch the beauty magic, the supernatural that unfolds from you. Today, I want to give you that opportunity. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you. It's so useful to teach us and correct us and guide us into all truth. Thank you for sending the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's come to empower us, to help us love the world more effectively, help us function supernatural ways, ways that are beyond our natural ability to function. Father, I pray today for anyone far from Jesus. Maybe they've wandered lately. They got off track. They maybe just got lazy or or rebellious or fearful. Or maybe they've never given their life to Jesus. Maybe today that's you, with heads bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe today you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus, or I want to give my life back to Jesus. I want to feel the freedom, the love, the the joy. I want my sins forgiven. I know I've been selfish and sinful, and, and I've made mistakes and done things I'm not proud of, and I just want that all. I want a fresh start. Jesus can give you that today. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. He wants you walking in your purpose to know what that is for your life, to experience your creator God in a whole new way. If that's you today, and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, Would you just raise your hand if you're here in the room right where you are? If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. We'd love to help you with that decision. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. Give my life to you. Thank you for forgiving me and choose to live your life for him. It really is that simple since Jesus came. Follow him. For those of you who've been walking with Jesus a while but have been apprehensive about the Holy Spirit, we'd love to talk to you after service today and explain some of it if necessary. We'd love to pray over you and ask boldly for the Holy Spirit to come on your life. Or maybe you just want to go home and pray on your way home. Pray tonight. Pray every night. Start researching. There is an amazing booklet in the sermon notes that will help you understand so much more about the Holy Spirit. God wants to empower you. He made it easy for the Holy Spirit to rest on each and every one of our lives. 
for the first time in history. It's not just reserved for kings and prophets. You can have the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can produce those gifts we talked about today and the fruit to go along with them. I want that for you. Oh, Father, I am boldly asking you for more Holy Spirit baptisms in this church. People walking away today saying, I want the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm just boldly calling out passions and talents and gifts and fruit out of this church like never before. Let us love people better. Give us your heart for people. And the peace and the understanding and the joy that goes along with, with that. Thank you, Jesus, for an open heaven. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.